Over the past several weeks, well, let, let's start first of all. I just want to start with prayer. God, I pray that you would speak in this place today. I pray that you'd speak through me, Lord God. I pray that your anointing would be upon my, my lips and my mouth to speak your oracles. I pray that your anointing would be on the hearts of everybody in this building to receive what you have for us today. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you and your lordship, and we pray that you'd have your way. We give you honor and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past several weeks, Pastor Steve and Mamie have gone through the book of Acts and other scriptures in the New Testament talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've been here uh, for any of the last several weeks, you know, you know where we've been going with that. If you've missed any of the last several weeks and you want to hear it, those things are available online. You can listen to those uh, sermons. You can actually watch them even on YouTube and on Facebook and all that. Um, but if you look through the various experiences that the early church had with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, most often these were accompanied with the, the gift of speaking in tongues, right? We've talked about that. That's the, the evidence often said uh, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, is the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's often uh, accompanied also with the gift of prophecy. Several of the scriptures uh, talk about they spoke in tongues and prophesied, right? But there's also um, other, other things that talk about. It talks about healings. It talks about speaking out with boldness. It talks about um, other gifts like uh, words of wisdom, words of, words of knowledge, all kinds of things. So they discussed the fact, too, that, that nowhere in Scripture does it say that gifts have ceased. Nowhere does it say that this is only for a certain people at a certain time. Um, nowhere in Scripture does it say that the gifts are only for the apostles. Some people, you know, use that as an as a argument that, oh, this is only for the apostles. Well, if that's the truth, then that kind of, the, the Bible contradicts itself a little bit because we see the stories of Stephen and Philip and some of these that were not of the twelve, right? They weren't the apostles that walked with Jesus, and yet they were filled with the Spirit. It says they're full of the Spirit, and they did great, great works. Stephen, he, he gave a fantastic presentation, proclamation of the gospel, ended up becoming the first Christian martyr. Philip, he's the one that, that you know, spoke the, the, the gospel to the, uh, the eunuch on the, on the desert road, right? The, Ethiop, the Ethiopian eunuch, he just walked up and said, hey, what are you reading there? He said, oh, this is the prophet Isaiah. And he said, well, is, is Isaiah talking about himself or somebody else here? What's going on? He said, ah, oh, let me tell you about that. And he went on to present the, the entire gospel, right? And it, it, it's in church history, we find out that, that it was that encounter that seems to be what took the, the gospel to uh, the continent of Africa. Now, that was only one experience. There was other experiences as well. But, but these were not apostles. And yet, they walked full of the Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit. They worked healings and miracles and all kinds of stuff, right? Correct. So we can say by that that we know it's not just for the 12 apostles, because if that's the case, then these other people somehow had magic. <laughs> but no, they didn't have magic. They had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were full of the Holy Spirit. And then, uh, you know, these, these gifts of the Spirit that we talk about, like I said, the, the first thing you see is, okay, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied. Absolutely, that's there. But there's other gifts that are, that are spoken of as well. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, we're going to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's what I've titled this message, is Walking in the Spirit, because... There's something that happens after you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not just a one-time event that just stops and that's it. It's something that you live out. It becomes a part of your life. And we're going to discuss that today. We're going to first off look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 4. Unfortunately, the scriptures today did not make it onto the PowerPoint. So you're going to have to you know, do your own work and look in your own Bibles. If you do need a Bible, there are some more on the back. Uh, table back there. You can grab one if you want to look them up for yourself. But we're going to look first at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I'm going to start in verse 4, and this is what we see. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, what are these manifestations? For the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So what do we see here? We see the Holy Spirit manifested through believers who've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? Now, I know that, as I mentioned a moment ago, when we talk about in church the baptism of the Holy Spirit, often it's just equated with tongues, and, and yes, that is part of it. We've got to consider the full counsel of Scripture, though. It appears that the baptism of the Holy Spirit goes beyond just tongues, right? There's more involved here. Not to diminish speaking in tongues, I believe it's an important gift, and I think it's one that we need to practice. But that's only part of the picture. It goes beyond that. Um, it, it includes prophecy. It includes all these other things, words of wisdom. Uh, any, anyhow, if you've been attending our prayer meetings on Tuesday mornings or our Wednesday evenings, you know that we've been asking the Holy Spirit to, to give us these gifts, to bless us with these gifts, right? They're, they're talked about, the word, they're for us, and we haven't necessarily been experiencing them on a regular basis, but we want to. And why? What does it matter? Can we get by in life without it? Well, I mean, we can get by, but who wants to get by? <laughs> As I mentioned in the, in the offering just a, a few minutes ago, I want the, the fullness that God has for us, right? I want all those blessings it talks about. I don't want just enough to get by. Anyhow, but the other reason we ask for this is if you look in, in that same chapter there down in verse 31, it says this, it says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. So, God himself tells us in, in scripture there to desire these gifts. It's right to desire these gifts. It's okay. Right? It's, it's something we're called to do. But also these gifts are for the building up of the body. If you look at the entirety of 1 Corinthians 12, it discusses how different gifts are given and, and different parts are played by each person, each believer. We all have a different role in the body and the body isn't complete apart from each one of us using our gifts and, and fulfilling the call that God has on us, right? Thirdly, it was the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit that often led people to coming to Christ in the early church. It was the calling card, right? It was the, hey, why do I want this? Well, check this out, right? If you, if you look at that, um, in Acts chapter 2, they, they heard these Galileans were speaking their own languages, right? The people that shouldn't know all these foreign languages were speaking in tongues and speaking languages they didn't know. And people were like, this is amazing. These guys don't know my language, and yet here they are speaking and proclaiming the, the word of God. And I got to check this out. I got to see what happens. And what, what was the uh, result of that? 3,000 were added to the number that day. In chapter 3, we see uh, the account of the, the lame man at the gate beautiful, where Peter and John, everybody's heard this story. They're all familiar with it, right? There's a, the lame man there, and he says, hey, give me some money. And they said, well, we, hey, we don't have any money, but what we have, we're going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he's healed, right? Fantastic. And usually that's where we stop with the story because... Hey, that was great. But if you, if you read on, you find out that, that people started gathering together. 
people started gathering saying, whoa, 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 what just happened here? Did, did a miracle just happen? Because I think this guy was lame and now he's walking. Something's, something's different here. Right? It drew a crowd. That's part of the reason we want the gifts to be at work in our hearts because we want to draw a crowd. I don't want the attention, but we want God to get the attention. We want people to, to see their need for him. How many people realize that in this day and age, we need people to be looking to God for the answers? Because the government ain't going to give us the answers, right? Hollywood isn't going to give us the answers. Jeff Bezos isn't going to give us the answers, right? <laughs> so people gathered around and if you look in as the story carries on Peter starts to give another another sermon there and, and in chapter 4 verse 4 it says this it says but many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men that came to be about 5,000 so first of all once they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they began to step out we see 3,000 added to the church then we see 5,000 added to the church there's something happening here right this isn't just speaking in tongues for the sake of speaking in tongues something's going on something's changing but most importantly, and here's where we're going to kind of camp out today a little bit. Most importantly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit leads to living lives of boldness. Yes. Oh, yes. And it's boldness with wisdom. The two need to go together. How many know that boldness without wisdom can get in a lot of trouble? <laughs> boldness apart from wisdom gets you beat up. <laughs> That's pretty much it, right? How many people have seen that? The, the, the kid that taunts everybody, he's bold. But then as soon as somebody actually steps up to him, oh, wow, that wasn't, didn't go the way he thought it would, right? But this is what we're going to talk about today is, is, is this boldness. Because as I mentioned, Peter, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, he boldly proclaimed that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah, right? Yeah. And these godless men killed Jesus. That's, that's his words in that scripture. Godless men killed him. Now, he's preaching to these men and saying, you're godless men. But who were these people? Pious, religious Jews. And saying, you're godless people. You killed Jesus. That's offensive, right? You, these are people that spend their life trying to be righteous, trying to be pious. And he's saying, you're godless people, and you killed Jesus. Whoa. But he went on to declare, you know, Jesus raised from the dead. But who is it that said this? Peter. What do we know about Peter? Three times. A little girl said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Don't you know him? Not me. Not me. I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. I'd never seen the man. He was cowardice. He was afraid. After receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, he's preaching to thousands, and he's calling out the people that, that were the very ones that killed Jesus. Now, for somebody who's a coward, if you know that this group of people killed your leader a couple weeks ago, do you think you're going to go in front of those same people and say, uh, you guys, you don't know what you did. You killed the, the, one that, the, the one that was coming, the Messiah. You, you did this. But he did. Why? Because he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He received boldness with that. The dude was not the same after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was a different guy altogether, Right? So, as we mentioned, that the, uh, after the sermon he gives in Acts chapter 3, he goes on, um, 
in, in chapter, chapter 4 there, he led thousands uh, to Christ there in Acts 4. But we also see this at the end of chapter 4, verse 27. It says this, For truly in this city there were gathered against you your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And then he says a prayer. He says, Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant to your bond, that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. What are we seeing here? Is it all about the speaking in tongues? Is speaking in tongues the end all? No. Speaking in tongues is part of it. And I'm not, I'm not belittling that. We absolutely encourage that and we want to pray for that and we're going to believe with you. If you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we'll pray with you even today to, to believe that you can receive that gift. And speaking in tongues is one of the evidences of that, but there's more to it. There's this boldness that comes forth. Amen. Now, there's a lot of confusion sometimes uh, in different churches as to what this looks like. I'll tell you a little bit about my background. I grew up, my dad's a pastor, his dad is a pastor, his dad is a pastor. So I have three generations of pastors in my, in my family. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means anything other than I, I thank God for that blessing because I believe there's a good heritage, right? I believe that I've been blessed in some ways because of, because of receiving from that. It doesn't make me special, but it makes me blessed, and I received that, right? But in the tradition that I grew up in, I grew up in a church, the denomination was called the Pentecostal Holiness Denomination. They're still very active. It's a Pentecostal church, um, and they're very, very proud that, that their Pentecostal traditions traced all the way back to Azusa Street Revival of the early 1900s, right? To a man named William Seymour, who was, preaching, who, who was a black man preaching to a mixed congregation, Right? And now, you got to understand, this is early 1900s here, and William Seymour, a black minister, was laying hands on white people, and they were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's unheard of at that time. I mean, touching, touching somebody of a different color skin? Oh, my gosh. At that time, that's the way it was thought of, right? They were breaking ground. They were doing something just unbelievable. Now, it shouldn't be that way. Let's understand that, that racism doesn't belong in the church because we all understand that we are all part of the same race. We're all of the race of Adam, right? Amen. Now, we're all stuck in the same predicament as Adam that we're all in sin. Yeah. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we become saved. Yeah. But part of what was so powerful about these meetings was not just that these people were speaking in tongues, but the fact that while much of the nation was still dealing with segregation and race issues, here were black, white, and brown people all coming together, worshiping together, all receiving from God together, and that alone was a bold move. Apart from receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, that alone was a bold move in that time. From what I see today, we probably could use a little bit more of that boldness here as well. Right? Because we're seeing a lot of, a, a, a lot of attention. And I think a lot of it's ginned up by the news. I don't think a lot of it's legit. I think it's, it's ginned up by people that are trying to make us think. Right? Because what, what is their goal? Is to get us all stirred up, get us all riled up, get us all worried. But the reality is that, that these people went against what the social norm was, and they said, hey, if God's got something for us, we're going to do whatever it takes to get it. 
right? And we want that same boldness in us. So the, the churches that I'm talking about, the denomination that I was part of, what came out of that was these, these ministers would go back to their home church and take this teaching with them. These ministers that had begun speaking in tongues would take that back to their congregation and start speaking in tongues in their church and praying and laying hands on their people and seeing baptism of the Holy Spirit. This, this became a, a, a spread all across the nation, right? And not just in this nation, it was happening in other places as well. At the same time this was going on, you had the Welsh revivals going on on the other side of the other side of the world. So we see all kinds of things were happening, but what this led to in, in the tradition that I come from was something called camp meeting. I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with camp meeting. Down south, it still happens today, but camp meeting is something that would happen every, usually in the summertime, because that, that's the, the, the easiest way to do it, I guess, and, and whatever, but they'd get together for about a week or two and have services every single night. These are revival services, and the whole purpose of this was to just to get get closer to God, right? To receive what, what he has for you, to kind of focus on God for a week or two. Now, we know it's not, it's not practical to, to come to church every night all the time. You get wore out pretty quick, right? But for a week or two in the summer, that was always a, a good thing. It was a powerful, sometimes these meetings were powerful times. And uh, this was where the church would focus on God for a short time. And often, uh, you know, these meetings, people would begin then to speak in tongues. Now, these meetings were powerful, so much so that I know that my grandfather and his two brothers were all called to the ministry in one of these meetings, in a camp meeting. They were all businessmen, actually, and, and God said, hey, you're not to be called to the business world. I want you ministering. I want you preaching. And so they all gave up their business and started preaching the word, which, that, that's pretty powerful stuff. But, you know, sometimes at these camp meetings, miracles would take place. At these camp meetings, sometimes people would receive healing. Sometimes people would... would recognize that, hey, look, I've been living kind of wishy-washy in my faith, and I need to, to make a, a decision to, to truly walk in faith. Amen? Amen? But over time, these meetings became more ritual tradition than anything else. People started doing it for the sake of doing it. Hey, it's, it's time for revival services again. We're going to have camp meeting this week. Everybody come. I, I don't know if they forgot to invite the Holy Spirit or, or what happened, but, but tradition became just that, that people would do this and not really, I don't know, lost the, the fervor, lost the, the, the desire. But anyway, at these camp meetings, something else that would happen is a lot of people were filled with the Holy Spirit and would speak in tongues. The strange part is this, though, that they would speak in tongues at camp meeting and wouldn't speak in tongues again until next year at camp meeting. It was kind of like the fine china. You put it away and you only bring it out on special occasions. But unfortunately, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't designed to be that way. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we receive gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy, these are things that are meant to be manifest in our lives on a regular basis, on a daily basis. We're supposed to use it. And, and, and just like anything else, I believe these gifts, that if you don't use it, you begin to lose it. You begin to lose the fervor. You begin to, to, to stop listening. Because sometimes the gifts of the Spirit involve listening for God to direct you on something. And if you, if you stop listening... Whenever he gives you that little nudge, say, hey, go speak to that person. No, no, I'm not going to do that this time. Okay, well, go speak to that person. Not, I'm, I, not, not today. Hey, I want you to give this word of prophecy. Not today. You do that enough times, how many times he just either, either he stopped telling you or you've stopped listening to the point where you don't even hear it anymore. I know that, that, that my kids, sometimes I can tell them something 
And they can respond and say, yes, dad. And an hour later, they said, well, I didn't hear you. You didn't tell me that. I did tell you. And sometimes my wife will even say, he did tell you, and you said yes. Well, I didn't think that's what he meant, right? Sometimes when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the same thing can happen. God, God directing us, but we've turned it off so much that we're not open to, to hear him and open to, to hear his direction. Now, I've also been part of church circles that led people to believe that every single action that they took or every single action they take needs to be led by, directed by the Spirit. Where they want a word of knowledge or word of wisdom about every aspect of life. And they're praying, Holy Spirit, which shirt should I wear today? I'm not going to leave this closet until you tell me what shirt to wear. Or, or maybe they say, well, God, what should I eat? I'm, I'm hungry and, th- and there's a whole menu here. I don't know what to choose. Holy Spirit, lead me as, as to what to eat. Nowadays, we don't do that so much. We just use Facebook for the same thing, right? How many people send pictures of food on Facebook? I do not understand that. It doesn't make sense to me, but anyhow. Um, <laughs> they want a word of wisdom or word of knowledge about everything, right? But most of the time, this isn't the way that the Holy Spirit leads his people. Now, there are times it does happen. We, I think it was last week or the week before we looked at uh, uh, evidence in, in Acts where Peter and um, Cornelius, they both had this kind of thing happen simultaneously that led them to one another, right? Yeah. Peter received a vision and said, hey, go, go see Cornelius, yeah. right? Yeah. And Cornelius said, I'm sorry, Cornelius said, go see Peter. He's at Simon Tanner's house. And Peter got the thing said, hey, um, Gentiles are going to come. You need to speak to them. And and come together, all of Cornelius' house was saved because of this. So it can happen. And I don't, wanna, I don't want us to think that God can't speak to us that way. But the reality is that's not typically the way he speaks to us on a, on a regular basis. And if you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense. Because we recognize that God's a good father, right? And if he's a good father, then I got to assume that some of the acts of fatherhood that, that he puts in, in, in us fathers has to be at least in some way a reflection of him, right? Maybe not perfect, because none of us are perfect. We all mess it, mess it up sometimes. But some of that's there. And as a, as, as a father who's not the good father, right? Well, I don't really want my children to ask me about every little thing. As a matter of fact, my goal is to raise my children in such a way that they can make their own decisions when I'm not around, I want them to, be, to learn principles and practices in order to make good choices, right? And yeah, I'd like them to make choices that are similar to what I would, what I would choose, but I want them to be free to make their own choices. I'm willing to give advice when asked. And yes, there are certain times when I have to give specific instructions. Take the trash out now. It needs to go out, right? But that shouldn't happen all the time. And when my kids move out of the house... If I've got to call them every evening to remind them to brush their teeth, something's wrong. So if we're waiting on the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, should I brush my teeth or not? I'm waiting, I'm waiting on you, Holy Spirit. Speak to me, Lord. Something's wrong. Because he gives us wisdom in his word. It says wisdom, you know, the, the scripture I read there earlier talk, in, in Proverbs says, you know, wisdom was with God in the beginning. Right? And I believe that he gives us that same wisdom. That wisdom is with us. And so we have wisdom from God, so we don't have to wait on him for every little thing. Now, it's certainly still proper to ask him for direction, to ask him for, for help. 
I know Pastor Steve likes to say, hey, Holy Spirit, I lost my keys. Can you tell me where they're at? Nothing wrong with that. You know, ask him to be part of your everyday life. And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with it. In the morning when you are looking at your clothes, say, Holy Spirit, help me to make wise decisions today. Is there something, you know, if, if there's something you want me to wear that's going to help me make a, a, a statement that's going to lead somebody to you, by all means, tell me. But that doesn't mean we stay there and wait until we hear God say, wear the red shirt with the blue shorts. Because if we're going to do that, then our lives are going to be all messed up. You ain't going to get nothing done, right? But there are people that believe that way. So on the one extreme, we have this whole, whole idea that, well, if I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I, I just use it every, only, only at camp meeting and, and no other time. Yet other people that say, well, I, I, need, I need the Holy Spirit to lead me on every single thing that I do every day of my life. And if you do that, you're going to just end up confused. You're going to end up messed up. The, the reality is that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us, first of all, through wisdom. He wants to lead us through his word. He wants to lead us through our relationship with other believers who, who you know, can also impart wisdom to us. You know, there, there's something to be said for wise counsel. Most of the time, he does not lead us through the, the you know, direct voice. Um, so how, how, do we, how do we walk in the Spirit? What does it look like? How do we learn to listen to him and not be, not, not go to the side of cuckoo? Well, let's see what the word says about that. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5, starting in verse 5. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5, says, For those who, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Just sit on that for a second. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, there's a, there's a whole lot in that scripture. And to some degree, it can be a little bit confusing because he goes back and forth between being in the flesh and being in the spirit. And how do we live according to the spirit and, and this and that? You know, there's been times when I read that scripture and I just wanted to shout and rejoice that I am, I am living in the spirit and thank God for the blessings that come from that, right? And there are other times when I've read that scripture and thought, how can I ever live by the spirit? I'm doomed. I can't do this, Right? But we need to be careful in understanding something here. Because first of all, how, how many of you are in this room today live in a fleshly body? Looks like just about everybody, right? Is there anybody here experiencing an out-of-body experience right now? No, we're all here. So we all have flesh, right? So if we're all here in the flesh, obviously verses 8 and 9 there are not telling us that somehow we have to live apart from our flesh as far as referring to our bodies, Right? 
There has to be something more that Paul's talking about. This idea has led many down the, the path of, of um, the heretical belief of, of Gnosticism. The understanding that all flesh is evil. That, 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 that only the spirit is good, right? So we have to deny flesh at every, every uh, opportunity. And yes, we do have to deny our fleshly nature, but we're not denying our bodies. I mean, look, if, if that was the fullness of it, then everyone would just stop eating and die right now. You know, in the next, well, it wouldn't die right now. I got enough here to last me a few weeks, but, but that would be it, right? But obviously that's not what he's talking about. It's not just this, this skin, the skin suit that we're all wearing. That's not, not the flesh he's talking about. Um, what he's saying there is that we're not uh, uh, to live according to the fleshly or sinful nature. We're not to dwell on the things that lead to death, but instead we're to dwell on the things that lead to life, the things of the spirit. And how do we know what these things are? We look again at the word, right? And so we're, we're going to look now at um, Philippians chapter four, verse eight. This gives us a pretty good idea. Philippians four, verse eight. He says this, he says, finally, brethren, whatever is pure, whatever is, I'm sorry, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things, that's a pretty good start right there, right? Those are the things that lead to life. Those are the things of the spirit, things that are lovely, things that are honorable, right? Things that are pure, things that are true. These are the things we're supposed to dwell on. So do you realize that dwelling on these things actually brings glory to God? Listening to beautiful music, enjoying a sunrise or sunset, smelling a flower, admiring a work of art, all these things bring glory to God, right? Let's go a little further, though. Dwelling on and proclaiming the truth of God's word brings glory to God. Dwelling on and proclaiming the truth of God's word, even when it isn't popular, brings glory to God. Declaring that God made us in his image, male and female, he created them. Well, that's not popular these days. If we say that, we're somehow being bigoted. But I'm not the one saying that. God's the one that said that, right? So when we dwell on his word, all of a sudden we realize that, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not bigoted thinking. That's dwelling on things that are good, things that are right, things that are honorable. That's right. Uh, when we look at verse like Psalms chapter 100, verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Dwelling on that scripture is a good thing because we start to re recognize something. We recognize that I'm not God. He made me. I didn't make me. And guess what? He doesn't make mistakes. So if he made me as a man, guess what? I'm a man. That's the way he made me. To think anything else puts me in the place of God, and I'm not God. So we need to dwell on the truth that he is God and we are not, and we need to stand in his word. Now, once again, that's not popular these days, though. Because today they say that you can be whatever you want to be. Whatever you feel, it's okay. And if you feel different five minutes from now, that's okay too. But is that true? Is that honorable? 
Is that pure? Is that right? Is that lovely? Is that all these things we just talked about? Absolutely not. That's called living in the flesh as opposed to living by the Spirit. Explaining in a conversation or talking to people about the fact that, you know, sex outside of marriage, a marriage covenant is sinful and leads to death. Well, that's a good thing. It's not popular because in this country, more people, more couples live together without being married than are married. So to say that is an unpopular thing, but that's what the word of God says. This is what God tells us to do. So when we declare that and speak that, we're not being mean-spirited. We're not being, you know, we're simply dwelling on the truth, speaking the truth, doing what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely. There's something to be said for these things because it's the word of God. So these are the things that when we're baptizing the Holy Spirit, when we're living according to the Spirit, we're supposed to be dwelling on the things of God, right? But it means that it may go against culture. It may against, go against societal norms. And a lot of people say, well, you don't need to, to focus on those things. Well, we may not focus on it, but we can still bring light to it. We can shed light on the truth, right? Taking a stand against evil and godlessness brings glory to God. Taking a stand against a godless system like Marxist socialism is honorable and right. Well, wait a minute. That just, that's, that's not for church talk. That's, that's something for, to, to be talked about in the universities and stuff. We don't need to discuss that. Well, if we don't discuss it, who's going to? If we don't talk about the evils that socialism has caused over, over the years, if we don't realize that the, the death that, is, that, it, that has come and how that system is an absolute godless system. It is anti-Christ. It is antithetical to the things of, of Christ. When you realize that, then you realize we've got to speak out against that. If we don't speak out against that, then we're going to be living in a, in a place that we don't want to be living. We have a responsibility to take stand, a stand against evil and godlessness in this age. Declaring the word of God, that the word of God is truth. And declaring to the world that there is truth. And the truth is not subjective. Once again, this is a good thing. Now, understand if you debate anybody who's living in the flesh... They're going to tell you that I have my truth and you have yours. That it's okay. This is what I believe. And so it's okay. But there's no such thing as his truth and her truth. My truth and your truth. There is the truth. And to declare that, to speak that out, is what we need to do, right? That, that's what, what the Holy Spirit empowerment is going to do, is give us boldness to speak these things and declare these things. We have to have some of these uncomfortable conversations to proclaim the truth of God and that it is good. I know that, that I've been in situations where people say, you know, well, around this table, we're not going to talk politics and we're not going to talk religion. Those two issues are off the table. Guess what, guys? Those two issues have tentacles that touch every part of our lives. Those two issues are things that we all need to discuss. Now, that doesn't mean you have to to browbeat somebody to say, you've got to believe the way I believe or else. You know, we're not doing that. But certainly we, we can't engage in meaningful conversation with anybody that doesn't at some point touch on issues of religion or our beliefs, our faith, and issues of politics because our faith influences how we, how we vote and how we see things. Some people think that there's no place for politics in the church. Since we live according to the spirit, well, we shouldn't concern ourselves with the things that are going on in the political realm, Right? That's beneath us. 
Well, certainly it is true that Christ will not be returning aboard Air Force One, right? That's not going to happen. We're not looking for, for a messianic candidate that's going to change everything. And it's important to understand that we do have a responsibility, though, to take a stand for what's right and what's true. We have a responsibility to, to, to stir up those conversations, to have those conversations, because you know what? A lot of people will vote because of what feels good at the moment without actually thinking it through. And as believers, sometimes having those conversations with one another, you know what? I never thought about it that way. I didn't realize that that person actually believed what they said they believed. But sometimes, you know, uh, we got we to understand, you know, that, that no, no political party has all the answers, Right? If it's all Democrats, it's not going to be any better. If it's all Republicans, it's not going to be any better. Matter of fact, the fact that we have you know, a, a pretty equal split in Congress and all, a lot of times is probably for the better because people get carried away with their agendas and, and when they can just push their, their agendas through, a lot of times it ends up bad for everybody, right? So no political party has all the answers, but it's sometimes these political conversations that help people to recognize that their need for a savior, Sometimes it's these conversations that say, you know what, there's more to life than just, uh, you know, oh God, it's Monday and thank God it's Friday, right? Edmund Burke said something that, that I think is very important. He said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So if we don't speak up, if we don't let our voices be heard, if we don't declare the truth, guess what? Evil's prevailed. Evil wins. And I believe that's why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to give us boldness to speak these things, right? But as I mentioned earlier, we also need to walk in God's wisdom. We also need to make wise choices in how we stand up, when we stand up, where we stand up. This morning, I was, I was stirred a little bit. I made a mistake. Um, you know, knowing I was going to get up here to speak, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I looked at the, the, the news stations, the, the top, you know, few things that was going on, just to see what kind of craziness is going on today, because, you know, it seems kind of like, a, you know, a fun bag anymore. You open it up, and wow, I didn't think it'd get any crazier, and there it goes, right? So I, I looked up, and in Portland last night, there was a prayer service being held in a public park. And at this prayer service... Um, some Antifa members showed up in full black block and everything, and they started, you know, yelling and screaming. They started throwing uh, the, the flashbangs around the children and, and scaring them. They even sprayed some people with mace directly in the face. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad stuff. They took their sound system and smashed it and threw it around and stuff, all kinds of stuff. And these people that were there to pray, they just, they, they, they backed away a little bit. They, they let, let them have some peace and I'm not going to debate whether what they did was right or wrong. You know, at what point do we stand up? Those are, those are conversations, once again, we need to have. As believers, we need to say, well, when is it appropriate to stand up? Yeah. Right? When is it appropriate to, to declare the truth? And when is it better to, to let it go? Because these guys come looking for a fight. And if you give them the fight they're looking for, then, well, you've kind of played into their hands. So it's not always the best thing to do either. I'm, I'm going to get off into a tangent if I, if, if I go that, down that road. I don't want to talk about that. But the whole point is, we as believers need to understand when to stand up with boldness, right? We need to understand that there are things like the legal system that can be used for, for our benefit. I think about Paul. When he was, when he was in prison, he, he said, hey, look, they were going to let him go. And he said, no, 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 no. I, I, 
I appeal to Caesar. I, I want to take this all the way to the top. We're going to go ahead and get this you know, done with. There are times as believers, we need to stand up and say, hey, this issue needs to go before the Supreme Court. I'm not stopping until I get there and we get this dealt with, right? There's other times when that's not necessarily the best thing to do. We've got to understand, and that's where I believe it's important to really listen to the Holy Spirit and be led by the Spirit so that we know. And then even, even at that, we have to interpret what, we, what we're hearing, right? Because I, I think of another story where Paul was about to go on and, and, and a prophet said to him, hey, look, don't go on this trip. If you go on this trip, it's going to end in chains and imprisonment. And what did Paul do? He said, hey, I'm ready for chains. I'm ready for imprisonment. God's called me to go. I'm going to go. So just because a prophet speaks a word to you doesn't necessarily mean that that word is, that we, we got to understand how to interpret that word, right? Because the truth was he was going to see chains and imprisonment. Absolutely right on prophecy. That prophet, A+. Plus. But Paul said, I know that I'm going to see chains. I know that I'm going to see imprisonment, but I'm ready to do that. So we got to understand that, that when we hear that prophecy, well, how does that apply to our lives? Holy Spirit, teach us. Let us know. That's where we need to hear the voice of God more than anything, right? So what else does the word say about living in the spirit? If we look at Galatians 4.16, this is the passage we're going to get to talking about the fruit of the spirit. This is, this is very important that we're going to experience these, these things in our life. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So once again, Paul is not telling us to live apart from our physical bodies. He's not telling us to deny ourselves of every good thing. But instead, he shows us what a life looks like that is being led by the Spirit. Our lives should show evidence that we're filled with the Spirit. That's the, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? And this is what the life of a believer should begin to look like. Now I say begin because this is how we're all striving to live. And none of us got it all figured out. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all Going, you know, just right, just so. But these are the things that we should begin to see. And now, how, how many understand that when you plant a fruit tree, the first few years, you don't really get any fruit. And when you do begin to get fruit, a lot of times, the first couple of years, it's real tiny, right? It's only 
after it becomes mature that the fruit becomes more mature. So I want you to understand it and I want you to, to recognize that, that if you got some little fruit on there, rejoice, be grateful. It's going to get better. It's going to get bigger, right? That's right. But we should see fruit coming up at some point, like verse 22 and 23. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I got to tell you, these are things that are not evident in the world. They're just not. Who wants to have self-control in the world? I want to do what feels good, right? Who wants to show kindness to somebody when I'd rather just slap them across the face? Who wants to have joy when, you know, the, I just blew out a tire and I got to come up with 300 bucks to, to pay for a flat tire? Who wants to have patience when somebody just driving me crazy, Right? This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what needs to be happening as, as we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we walk in that. These are the things that begin to grow in us. And like I said, sometimes those fruits start off real tiny. But if I show a little bit more patience today than I showed yesterday, if I show a little bit more patience this week than I did last week, if I'm a little bit more loving now than what I was before, this is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. This is evidence that I'm not the same person that I was before. We often have a tendency to think that spirit-filled believers, that we're supposed to be walking the foot off the ground. That we're supposed to hear the guiding voice of the Holy Spirit, which probably sounds something like James Earl Jones, saying, do this, do that, right? <laughs> That's how we think about it. The reality is, very rarely does God speak to us in such a clear way. A lot of times we think that by being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being spirit-filled believers, that means that everybody we come in contact should just see us fall down on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? Right? But that's not the reality of it. Because we still live in this fleshly body. Right? So we're not to live according to the flesh... See, this, this gets kind of confusing when you think about it because we use the same word to mean skin and, and, and muscle and bone tissue as we do to mean a fleshly carnal nature. They're actually distinct, and we've got to learn to distinguish because we have to live in the flesh. We have to live in the world. But what does it say? We're not to be of the world. What does that mean to not be of the world? It means we don't live according to the way the world lives. We don't live impatiently like the world does. We don't live you know, mean-spirited like the world often does. We have these, these fruits in abundance and they're beginning to, to, to happen. Um, once again, how does the Holy Spirit lead you? Most often it's not just the voice, it's usually His Word. And that's why we spend so much time at this church talking about the importance of God's Word and staying in God's Word and meditating on God's Word and reading God's Word over and over and over. Sometimes we read a scripture and we think, oh, I got that now, I'm good. Read it again, read it again see what happens. You find something more. Read it again. You know, I talked about wisdom before, and that's very important. One of the greatest books of wisdom in the scriptures is the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. 
just kind of lines up with the amount of days in most months, right? So, you know, one thing I've heard a lot of people say, and a lot of people do, is to read one chapter, one Proverbs, chapter of Proverbs every day. It's a good practice. I've done that for a long time. I don't do it every single day, but I've, I've read it through many times over, and every time I read it, guess what? I find a little something different. Because I come to it from a different perspective. I come to it from a different place. So I'm thinking a little bit different. Right? And as you read it again, God can say, hey, check this verse out this time. You didn't notice that before, did you? Right? Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not do away with our need to live life in the world. All of a sudden, we don't have to stop doing laundry because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to stop doing dishes because we're filled with the Spirit. We don't have to stop doing whatever it is we're, you know, called to do and, and used to doing, right? <laughs> don't quit your day job, that's right. But all, all too often we try to separate the spiritual from the natural. We try to say these are two different things. But that's not the way you've been created. You can't separate us. You can't say, okay, that's the spiritual part and this is the fleshly part. This is the natural part. No, it, it comes together. As a matter of fact, you know, I get the opportunity to share most, most weeks on, on uh, giving and finance, right? I think that's a fantastic way to teach and learn because that is a place where spiritual and natural really come together. Because you have the natural act of giving and you realize that there's also a spiritual portion there because that giving represents something. It, it represents the, the, the hours that you spent toiling. It represents the hard work, the labor that you put in. It represents something else spiritual, but yet it's a natural act. Do those things together and voila, you have this connection between spiritual and natural, yet you can't separate the two. Right? I, I often think about the, the marriage ceremony, the wedding ceremony. My wife and I have been married for 21 years. And in those 21 years, well, we've had you know, all kinds of good things happen, good and bad and, and everything in between, right? But I think about that very first day of being married, that first night of being married, whatever. Something happened by saying words in the natural that changed things in the spiritual. All of a sudden, what was sin on one day was something to be celebrated the next. And all because I said a few words, said I do, and said I will, right? It seems silly. And it seems sometimes like, well, why do we go through these charades? Why do we go through these, you know, these uh, practices? Why do we do this stuff? Because there is a spiritual power that, that, that happens or something changes in, in the spirit realm, whenever you speak things the way they're supposed to be done, right? It's the same thing with receiving the Holy Spirit. There's a natural element where you simply say, God, I want what you have, and all of a sudden, the Spirit is manifest through you. And understand something, too, that, that living by the Holy Spirit, living as a, a baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit believer, you're living supernaturally. Everything you do, your natural actions have a spiritual element to them. Whenever you go to work on time, there's something spiritual about that. 
Because you're being an example to other people. They're seeing the, the love of Christ through you. They're seeing the responsibility. They're seeing the thing, the faithfulness, right? Yeah. Faithfulness, that's, wait a minute, that's one of those fruits we talked about, isn't it? Yeah. That's something that's lacking nowadays. I've got a lot of employees that, that think that, you know, every third week or so they deserve a day off. That's not faithfulness. Showing up on time, that's faithfulness, right? That's that fruit. That's that, that spiritual side to the natural action. A lot of people can't see the connection there, but I've got to tell you that living as a, as, as a, a spirit-filled believer has a lot, of, a lot going on in the natural. It changes the way even that you work because you recognize I'm not working for myself, but I'm working for him. Doing everything to the glory of God, Right? The same guy, Paul, who wrote the scriptures that we went through a little while ago about the flesh and the spirit, right? Remember all that? He says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to you, to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give this order that if anyone is not willing to work, he's not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. You see, this same man who talked about the, the power of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit, right? He talks about walking in these things and prophecy and words of wisdom, words of knowledge. He also says, hey, get up and go to work. Take some responsibility. Do what you're supposed to do. Once again, we have the natural and the physical, uh, the spiritual coming together. It sounds like pretty good advice here to keep away from unruly people, people living unruly lives, to live disciplined lives and to work. Discipline, that's, that's a bad word in our society today. I could go on and on about the value of hard work and discipline. Um, But I don't think that that's for today's sermon. (laughs) We're coming to the end of the time. And if you're listening to this message today, and maybe you say, you know what? Well, I want to live by the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need this in my life. I need something to to help guide me, to direct me. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to give me this boldness to speak forth and to to do these things. If that's you today, we want to pray with you. Our prayer partners are over here and they're ready to pray with anybody who wants to receive the Holy Spirit today. And I just encourage you, come on forward. You can come on up now or you can come on up as soon as I'm done. But they want to pray with you and they're ready to pray with you. It may be today that you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. It may be that this is the first time you've ever heard that there was a need to. 
And as I mentioned before, we're all the same race. We're all the race of Adam, which is a sinful fallen race. And apart from Christ, the word of God says that our destiny is hell. But through the shed blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice that he made, he has given us a way to live with a a future hope that we will be one with him in heaven. Not because of anything that we've done. Once again, it's kind of one of those natural and spiritual things. When we say in in the natural, we say that, hey, I want to serve you, Jesus that I recognize my sin and I, I need a savior. When we say that in the, in the natural, a spiritual reality happens that we be, be, we're saved at that point. And so I just want to offer that today. If, if you've never received Christ as your savior, I just want, I'd like to pray with you today. So if that's you today, just slip your hand up and we'll, we'll say a prayer over you right now. Perhaps those of you that are watching online, you also need to make this decision. So I just want to take a moment and and pray, Lord, we surrender to you and your Lordship. We declare that we need you. Lord, I recognize that I've lived my life on my own terms. I've done things my way. But I'm ready to accept your Lordship. I'm ready to accept forgiveness of my sins and I surrender to you today. Lord, come into my heart. Make me new. In Jesus' name. Amen.